I'm Van. Did a great job there. Take your Bibles, turn to mid Acts chapter 9 if you got them. Acts chapter 9. All righty. Today's what you call an email sermon. Y'all know what an email sermon is? It's a sermon. It's not where I email it to you. It's where it generates emails to me. This email sermon. And listen, I'm fine with that. If you don't like what I got to say, email me. Daniel at thelambschapel.org. Just send it to me. Daniel at thelambschapel.org. I'd be glad for you to send it to me. <clears throat> Actually, it's not a sermon today. I just want to talk to you today. Testimony type thing today. I'm sorry. I, I can do those fancy things with big words and poems. I just want to talk to you about something today about me and you. All right, we're going to talk about the God I thought I knew. The God I thought I knew. Does anybody here know God? Did you not? Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you not hear the title? You know I'm setting you up. So you think you know it. All right. Acts chapter 9. Oh, I've got to tell you where we're at. Then it's about Saul. First two words, and then Saul. You don't know who Saul is? Now, this is not the Saul that was the king in the Bible. This is the Saul who had his name changed to Paul. Let me tell you about this guy. He was raised in the most religious family you can find. He went to church. I start to say every day of his life. He went to church before his life. His mom carried him in the womb. Church every day. He was taught about God. He lived in a God-fearing home. He was taught about God growing up. It was determined that he'd become a minister. So after he finishes his local education, he goes off to ministerial school. And he gets a degree in theology. Theology is the study of God. And then he gets advanced degrees in the study of God. He didn't have what, with the level of what we'd call a PhD today. His education was above that. He was one of the most educated men that ever lived, and it was all in the study of God. All right, then he becomes a preacher for years, and then he becomes the leader of the ministerial association. That's what it means, the preacher of preachers. And for, he's been preaching for 15 years. He grows up in a God-fearing home. He gets all this education about God. He preaches God for 15 years. He's the head minister over many things. Watch what it says about him. Acts 9, 1. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He asked for letters, which were actually uh, arrest letters, from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, the way was Jesus, his crowd, that bunch following Jesus, men or women, he could bring them arrested to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. He falls to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, what's the next three words? Who are you? That don't seem funny to y'all. This man spends his whole life being taught about God. He goes to school and studies about God. He gets a PhD in the study of God. He spends 15 years. He's, by the way, he's mid-30s right now. This is 33, 34 AD. He teaches people about God. God shows up and he looks at him and he says, who are you? I don't seem weird to y'all. How many of you know a man with a PhD in Godology or whatever they call it? Been preaching to people for 15 years, teaching people about God 15 years. How many of you know he should know who God is? Why do he say, who are you when God showed up? Let me finish the timeline of his life. Immediately after this event, it dawns on him, I've studied God and taught about God all my life. I'm clueless. I don't know who he is. He isolates himself in the desert for three years. And God comes to him and he studies God for three years and he learns who the real God is. After three years in the Arabian desert, he goes back 
And then he starts teaching about the real God and he writes 13, 14 books that we call today the New Testament. This man knew God well, or he thought so, till he ran into him. Then all of a sudden he realized, maybe I don't know him well as I thought I did. But guess what he said? This is real important for people to do this. Don't keep running in what you thought you know. If somebody shows you something different, change and learn about him and then live the rest of your life in your new revelation. Got it? All right, I'm a pagan. I'm on the road to hell. I am bad news when I was a young man. I was, I mean, as a teenager, I was in a mess. Rested first, first time at 14, I was arrested at 17 for attempted murder. And a funny thing happened on the highway to hell. Jesus ran into me. I didn't run into him. I wasn't looking for him. Jesus met me on the highway to hell. I was born again. I was converted. Everything just changed completely when I met Jesus. And so I said, okay, obviously I can't be pointing pistols at people no more. Maybe no Christian should not point pistols at people, except under extenuating circumstances. I said, so what do I do? I, I went to church to learn about God. First big mistake. I went to church to learn about God and I ate God up. I was so eager to learn about God because something happened inside of me. I was a dark person inside. I was mean. I was banned from bars before it was legal to drink. They told me, don't you come back in here again. Chairs get broke every time you come in here. And I was just changed. And I began to consume God. And I just studied everywhere I knew. So I go to church, start learning about God. And folks said, you got to be a preacher. I said, highway patrolman, preacher. So then I went off to a Christian college to learn more about God. Happened to be a Baptist college. Yes, I'm on hack Baptist day. Baptist college. And then I got out. I'd been trained how to preach. And then I went to preaching. Funny thing happened on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, this thing began to dawn on me. Are you sure you know about this guy that you've been trained to talk about? Are you sure you're talking about the guy in front of other people? And the same thing happened to him, happened to me. And I decided, well, I can go headlong in my career and keep my crowd happy because I was a preacher of the preachers. I was chairman of the ministerial association at one time. Y'all supposed to be impressed. What are y'all doing out there? And I said to him, I prayed the simplest prayer. And I think this is the greatest prayer you'll ever pray. Just pray that prayer. I looked at him, I said, who are you? Who are you? I'm gonna open this book. And if you'll show me who you are, I'll change what I think. But I want it to be you. I don't have enough of what they say. You is better than they. And so I'll go on this journey and he begins to teach me about him. And between me and you, now I'm mad at them. My life's gotten a whole lot better since I started hearing from him. Because I'm not sure which is worse, being in misery as a drunk and a troublemaker or being in misery as a Baptist preacher. Six in one hand. Of course, at least when you're drunk, you get to drink a little bit, get some relief. So I'm on this journey to find out what he's like. And I'm going to just tell you a few things I've learned about the God I thought I knew. Number one, he don't do reverence. I was taught the first day ever, hand in the air, first day ever, first day in preaching class, I was taught, the professor said this, it is very important that our worship services be reverent. I thought, amen. He's smart. If he says so, then God wants reverence. Just one problem with that, I can't find it in this book anywhere. Right. Guess what I found in this book? Not only does he not like reverence, 
He curses people for being reverent and demanding it. Okay, I can tell we're going to have to quote some to you this morning. God don't do reverence. You know what he likes? Tell me what he likes. He likes gladness. I've had people say, you're not serious enough to be a preacher. Thank you. Now we're getting it. You're looking at me funny. Turn to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. You see this book right here? This is God showing you who he is. If you've got to choose the preacher or God, go with the Bible. God, the Bible is a book where God tells you about himself. Listen, we, we need to start reading it and believing what it says. Personally, I just like gladness. I've never understood why people like, they want to look like they've been vaccinated with pickle juice and stuffed with a curtain rod. I'd rather enjoy my life. When I was a young minister, I thought, I can't be called into the ministry. I enjoy my life too much. I don't, I don't like looking sick like I got the flu. I like to sing loud. I started to say the D word, not damn, dance. I like to dance too. That's the D word in the Baptist church. Psalm 118, I'm reading this one day and it just hits me. Psalm 118, 24. Read these words with me. This is the day the Lord has made. Stop right there. What's the only reason this day exists? He made it. Who made the sun come up this morning? If he didn't want this day to be here, it wouldn't be here. Who made this day? All right, the next part tells you why he made it. We will rejoice and what? Does the word say glad? Who wrote that? Tell me what he wants you to be today. Does it say, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be reverent in it. He likes gladness. He does. He looks at us and goes, what are y'all doing down there? Turn with me to Psalm 100, just a few pages to the left right there. I'm reading this one day and I just sat there paralyzed. And I looked up at it. And by the way, I can talk to him like this. I said, did you write this? I, I get so shocked by what I see in this book sometimes. And I go, who wrote this? And this is one of them. Watch this, Psalm 100. Guess, by the way, guess who wrote this? The Bible is God talking to you about what he likes. Are you with me? All right, Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout. And maybe you know it's okay to make a joyful shout. What's the rest of it say? To the Lord. What did he just say? Look at me and holler. What did he say? He said, break with your reverence. Which, by the fact... In Isaiah 58, he makes fun of reverence. He said, is this the service I want for a man to come in here and bow his head down like a bulrush? He said, you look to me like a bunch of weeds around a pond going to church. Isaiah 58, look it up. He mocks this stuff. What does he say? Make a joyful shout. When you come before me, I want you hollering happy holler. It's called happy holler, joyful shout, and happy holler. We used to get in trouble for doing it. In the church I came up in, if you'd even raised your hand, an usher would have told you where the bathroom was. You're supposed to sit there paralyzed. <laughs> Make a joyful shout unto the Lord. All you lads, watch these words. Serve the Lord. Amen, Brother Brian. Finally got something we're supposed to do. What does it say? Serve the Lord how? What have y'all got against gladness? Who wrote serve me with gladness? Does he like reverence or does he like gladness? Read the whole book. Everywhere Jesus went, a celebration broke out. You're probably on the same page. Psalm 98, verse 4. Shout joyfully to the Lord. Break forth in song. You know what it means, break forth in song? You know what break forth in song means? Oh. That ain't breaking forth. That's falling down. Break forth means bust out. What do you keep hearing him say all through here? Shout to me. 
Be glad, celebrate, break forth, jump, sucker, whatever you want to say. And I began to read in this book, and I began to find out, you don't like this dead stuff, reverent stuff, do you? You like celebration and glad. You like for people to be glad, don't you? So guess what? I had the choice. I could either stay religious or I could become glad. All right, just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, I won't take time to point the rest. Number two, this will put your religious drawers in a wad. You know what that means in Hebrew, don't you? Everything's supposed to be in Hebrew. It's supposed to impress you or something. God don't do religious people. He don't even prefer good people. All right, now listen, He loves everybody. Red, yellow, black, white, scotch plaid, it don't matter. He loves everybody. But you listen to what I'm fixing to teach you in this book. He prefers certain types of people to be around him. You know, if I couldn't show it to you, I wouldn't say it. There's just certain folks he likes to be around him and certain folks he does not like to be around him. But he loves them all. We don't settle the love issue. Uh, matter of fact, let me tell you something. God prefers rough people to religious people. He likes the rejects more than he does the polished. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3. How many of you would agree that since he's God, he gets to pick his own friends? Some of us, some of us don't. How many of you know if you're God Almighty, you can pick your own friends? I don't know if you've ever seen this or not in the Bible. This is where out of all the people, God got to pick his best friends. Those that would walk with him and hang around him. Now listen, he died for everybody. Can I get a witness? He died to save everybody. But there's just a few certain folks he wanted around him all the time. And I want you to notice something about these people. If I were to say this, all right, God Almighty is going to pick a few people to be his best friends. And they're going to walk with him. He's going to eat with them. He's going to camp with them. He needs friends. He said, God don't need nothing. Then why in his toughest hour in the Garden of Gethsemane did he say to three men, stay with me right here. I need you to pray with me. Friend, God is not human. He's God, but he is relatable. And I want you to look who he picked right here. I love this passage right here. This just dumps us upside down. Verse 13, Mark 3, 13. Jesus, God Almighty, went up on the mountain and called to him, what's his words? Those he himself wanted. Right, he had a thousand. He had several thousand people following him at the time. But he says, there's certain people I want. Come up here. And he called those he himself wanted. And he picked out, what does it say? He picked out 12. Did he pick out 12 to go preach? Read it. He picked out 12 people that they might what? What does it say? Be with him. You'll be my closest friends. He called these folks and he said, out of all these, he said, I love everybody. He fed thousands. He blessed thousands. But he picked out 12 people and said, you're the ones I want around me the most. Now, I'll minister, but I want some people as friends. And you'll walk with me. We'll eat together. And he picked out these guys. And you think what kind of people he'd pick out. He'd pick scholars. And surely he'd pick folks that could behave. All right. Let's watch who he picked. Verse 16, Simon. Let's just look at the first four. Simon. Verse 17, James, the son of Jebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the nickname Boangeres. I wouldn't put that on nobody. He picks out these two guys. He said, by the way, from now on, I'm going to start calling y'all Boangeres. You know what the Greek word Boangeres means? Sons of thunder. I'm going to call y'all thunder from now on. 
You don't call somebody Thunder because they got Mr. Rogers' personality. <laughs> Why would you nickname your buddy Thunderhead? Just saying, what's number four in there? Andrew. All right, the first four people, now you pick 12. What do you know about that 12 within there? There were three of those guys, three of those guys when he said, you'll be my constant friends. You'll be closest to me. Everywhere I go, I want you to go. We'll talk about everything. And more times than not, he took just the three than the 12. He had three close friends. Tell me about them three boys. What do you know about them? What does the Bible call them? Acts chapter five. <clears throat> they were ignorant, uneducated men. Surely you'd think God Almighty could get the scholars. What else do you know about them? Does anybody know their occupation? They were not fishermen. They were commercial fishermen. There's a big difference. I'm a fisherman. I'm polished. Does it, do you know any commercial fishermen? I got a number of friends that are commercial fishermen where I fish at the coast. You know any commercial fishermen? You don't take them to church. They don't even know how to act in, they don't know how to act in the Piggly Wiggly, much less church. They're some of the roughest human beings you ever met. They don't even know that they're cussing all the time. They're rough. What was the occupation of these three men? They were commercial fishermen. Let me tell you about the people and what it say. He picked the ones he wanted to be with him all the time. Doesn't that bother you that God would pick some of the roughest, crudest people to be his dearest friends? Not to save them. He said, I just want some people around me. You're the ones I want. Doesn't that dump your God upside down sometimes? All right, let me ask you a question. He picks these guys to be around them. And um, how can I get you to understand the men that God wanted to be around the most? Anybody here ever seen the show Deadliest Catch? Y'all know what Deadliest Catch is? Right there. Them boys that work on them boats, that's God's friends right there. Y'all know who Sig Hansen is, one of the captains? Simon Peter. Did I make this up or am I getting it right out of the Bible? Would Simon put a cussing on you? After three years of discipleship training with Jesus, why would God pick these kind of people to be his closest friends? You know why? He's God. Maybe we don't know what he's like. And we're trying to be polished. He just, I'm just telling you, he likes folks like that. If you're rough, he likes you. Let me go a little bit further here. God really enjoys people. He said, Brother Brian, don't you mean he loves people? Yeah, he does that too. He just, you ever met anybody like this? I mean, they always want to meet somebody at the coffee shop. They always want to get some folks together for dinner. They always want to talk to you. They just love being around people. What does the New Testament teach about God? He I maybe believe he created people. I maybe know why. What's the two great days of your life? The day you're born and the day you find out why? He created people. Why did he do it? Well, look on the first page of the Bible. I'll just quote it to you. Look what he says. God created man and woman, put them in a garden, and every evening he stepped down into the garden and they visited and they walked together and talked to each other. I tell you the purpose of creating. He didn't create people to work for him. You think he created you to work for him? I've told you about the angels. There's an angel can do in five minutes more than all of us together could do for him in five years. He don't need me to work for him. He created me to enjoy him. And so he can induce and enjoy me. That's what this book teaches. He just loved people. What, what, was the great, uh, what was the great beef against Jesus all through the Bible? What was the constant criticism from preachers? This man stays in Hooters. Look it up. What was their constant criticism? This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
One of the craziest, this just dumped my bucket upside down. One day I'm reading Luke 15 and it said that Jesus was in a restaurant and said every sinner in the town was drawn to him to hear what he had to say. Every whore, thief, every rough person in town was fighting to get a table near this guy so they could listen to him. Is that the God you know? Sinners are just magnetized to him. Something about him. And of course, verse two, what does it say? And the ministers complained saying, he, there he is with them sinners again. This guy was always seeking out to eat with sinners. That, you know what a sinner is, don't you? That's bad people. He just loved being around them. Um, how many have ever heard this great verse right here? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You ever heard that? Picture on my grandma's wall years ago of a real sad, pathetic looking Jesus knocking on a little wooden door and had that verse under it. That's Revelation 3.20. It's, it's God speaking. And can I finish the verse? He's talking to his people. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we will have dinner together. Amen. We will sup together. Sup is to have dinner. He's trying to let, have people come into his life so y'all can visit together. I said, but how do you have dinner with God? Just, just say yes. He'll show you how. That's, we got to work all that out. I'm telling you, he just enjoys, enjoys people. Can I go a little bit further? Now, this really hacks my ministerial friends off. He would rather you be his friend than his servant. That really chafes people. We're, we're, we're taught all our lives, you get saved to serve. I can remember the banner in the Baptist church, saved to serve. How do you think it'd go if I went home and told my wife, the only reason I married you is so you'd wash my camouflage underwear? You know why I married you, sweetheart? I needed a cook. How do you think I'd go? She'd go Freddy Krueger on me is what she'd do. <laughs> Listen, I, I married the greatest woman on earth 40 years. I didn't marry her to have somebody to wash my underwear. I mean, bonus, can I get a witness? <laughs> I didn't marry her to cook for me. I'm trying to think of something I can say. She didn't marry me. I ain't figured out what she got out of me yet. But... We didn't get married to do that stuff. Guess why I married her? I married her because I wanted a friend. I wanted a friend and a lover for years, no matter what, so we could grow old together. I wanted a friend. She married me because she wanted a friend. God would rather you be his friend than to serve him. Is that scriptural? Let me show you a wild verse. Turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. You I remember a guy named Abraham. Well, take my word for it, he's there. He's sort of like the head guy in the Old Testament. He's called the father of us all, the father of the faith. Anybody remember the nickname? You know, he gave, he gave uh, James and John the nickname Boangeries. He gave some other pretty ugly nicknames in there. Do you remember the nickname that he gave Abraham? And Abraham was called the friend of God. The friend of God. Sounded to me like somebody looking for a friend, doesn't it? Let me show you one of the wildest verses in the Bible, and this is New Testament, John 15, 15. Jesus is sitting with that, remember that bunch? Remember all them commercial fishermen? He's sitting around with them one day. And I want you to look what he says to them. John 15, 15, he said this. No longer do I call you servants. Who just said that? Did God just say you're not my servant anymore? Right there it is. No longer do I call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that my father's told me, I've shown you. You didn't, look at the next verse. You didn't pick me, I picked you. Tell me what God is looking for. Now, listen, I serve him, but I serve him because I enjoy it. I've heard people say, we have to be faithful serving, not me. When it gets bad, I'm getting out. Besides, I'm old, I can retire. But the deal is, I enjoy it. Listen, I was called to be the friend of God before the servant of God. I thought, all we'd, I thought we just got saved and served and then croaked and went to glory. I don't know what to do up there. I was called to be the friend of God more than to be the servant of God. He'd really rather have you be his friend than to be his servant. Let me remember the premier passage on this. All right, we're in Luke chapter 10. There's two ladies, they're sisters. They live in the same house. They share it with a brother named Lazarus. These girls' names are Martha and Mary. This is Luke chapter 10. All right, got that? <clears throat> One day Jesus comes to visit them. He liked this house. I think he went out of his way, scripture teaches, to always eat at their house. He goes in the house and listen what happens. And Martha was preparing dinner and she was busy, distracted. She had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he had to say. But Martha became upset and she came to Jesus and she said, do you not see all that I've got to do and my sister sitting here? Tell her to get up and help me. Yes. You know what the Baptist God said? Mary, get off your butt and do what she says. What did Jesus say to her? He said, Martha. He said, you're in a wad. Look it up. Well, he said, you are worried and upset about many things. That's wad. He said, you're worried and upset about so many things. He said, don't you listen to what he told her? Only one thing's important to me. And Mary has chosen the one thing that'll never be taken away. What was Mary doing? She's just sitting there listening to him, being the friend of God. Martha was running around serving him. <clears throat> what does that passage teach me and you right there? What did Jesus say? Ain't but one thing important. I want you to listen to me and be my friend. Let's talk to each other. Now, granted, we can serve too. If you want to serve, that's fine too. But it's really called us to be friends more than anything else. Um, Psalm 100, we read, he made us. Did you realize this is the, of all the gods that we have in the, in the world today? We have Jehovah God, which is this one, manifesting Jesus. You got Allah, which that's your Muslim God, all them. This is the only relational God on the planet. Every other God says, do this, die for me. This God says, come sit down, let's get to know each other. I want you to be my friend. You know, let me tell you something else different about this God than all the other gods. Every other God wants you to die for him. This God died for you. Big difference in a, I don't know about a religion where they strap a bomb on their belly and say, I'm gonna, my God wants me to die for him. I think I'll change God's. This God died for you. Different, isn't he? Can I show you one more? You know, that means there's three. Now remember, the reason I'm hacking on Baptists, I'm not against Baptists, it's just the camp I got caught in. That's why I was a prisoner of war for years. I was just in the Baptist camp for years. <laughs> That'll give me an email at daniel at thelambschapel.org. <laughs> I go off to Baptist college and they got more rules and Carter's got liver pills, all right? And you have to sign this sheet, you'll live by the rules. Hair couldn't touch years, because you know, hair on years, in your heart. And uh, a lot of things you couldn't do. I'm just going to cut straight to the chase. God is not bothered by sex, alcohol, or dancing. I knew nobody would say a word. I knew you'd just be dead silence over that. <laughs> Let me tell you why. He created all three. Yeah, you got to know I'm going to show you this. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. All right. I just heard somebody say it out there. 
He created sex for procreation so we could fill the earth. Fine, have it three times and quit. Don't <laughs> making me nervous. Yes, you can procreate with it. God created sex because he wants people to have fun. Yeah, I can't get an amen out of that. No wonder you need marriage counseling. God have mercy. He created sex so people can have fun. It's not just for procreation. It's for fun. I don't know why I'm looking at you. First Corinthians chapter seven. I just talking about having sex. Here it is right here. And this is tell, I maybe know how many times you should. Right here it is, doc. Read it. I've never in my life seen so many men grab their wives' Bibles. <laughs> Normally they just let their wife read it. 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Let a husband, 1 Corinthians 7, 3. Let a husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise the wife to her husband. See that word affection? We ain't talking about no Hallmark card and a kiss on the cheek there. <laughs> talking about having sex. I said, give it, give it to them. Just do them. All right. Verse four, you don't have authority over your own body. Share it with somebody. Uh, time out. Do you notice it said, it does not say husbands and wives. It says husband and his wife. Can I get a witness? Verse five, verse five, do not deprive one another. Where's amen and find till I got to this? <laughs> do not deprive one another. That's not procreation. That's recreation. That's what it is. All right, do not deprive one another. Here's the only time you can not have sex. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a period of time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. The only time you shouldn't be having sex is when you say, wait a minute, I need to have a couple days just to focus on God and pray. Is that cool? And you have to agree on it. And girls say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when I'm done focusing on prayer. Uh, did you see the word fasting in there? No sex, no cheeseburger, sunshine. You got to put the two together. Read it. Except for a period of time, give yourself to prayer. All right, watch this. To prayer to fast, to fast and prayer, and come together again. Soon as you get done praying, get your clothes off and get in a sack, sister. Is that what it says? <laughs> you say, well, what kind of church you got? Look right here. What kind of God you got? This is the God we thought we knew. This is the God of the Bible right here. All right, I know some of you wanted me to get to the second one. You'll, you'll give me that one on the sex, fine. You, I know, I know. You want me to point out again, husband with her. Well, this ain't hard. God created alcohol. You know who Martin Luther is? Martin Luther, was, Martin Luther enjoyed beer. You know why I said God created beer? Because he wanted people to be happy. Turn me to Psalm 104. Let's see if Martin was right. Let's throw him under the bus. Martin at thelambschapel.org. Send him an email. <laughs> Psalm one, you know what Psalm 104 is, don't you? That is the great passage that talks about God in creation, how he created everything beautiful. It's a great, it talks about the animal life, the plant kingdom, everything he did. It's just wonderful. It talks about things he made. How many of you believe he made everything? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made them all and he said it was good. All right, the Bible talks about his creation. He created animals. 
Let me, let me do a time out here. Let me tell you what I've learned about God. Where's the, where's the Bible say is the first place you should learn about God if you want to learn about him? Not church. Not church. That's where I screwed up. Not even the Bible. Where's the first place you learn? Romans chapter one. By the things that were created, what may be known about God, has re- he has revealed himself to them through what he created, his creation. If you want to learn about God, go out in the woods. Go outdoors. Not where men's hands have touched, where God created. Let me tell you one of the things I've learned about this great God. He's the most creative person I ever met. Don't you know he created everything? Will you, will you allow me for a moment here? All right. He's the creator of the universe. He created everything one at a time. Said he created animals on the third day, this on the fourth day, all that stuff. And he's making all these animals. He said, all right, let's make an oven. And here's this animal. And he said, uh, by the way, he's big on color too. He loves color. He said, uh, sort of a yellowish, put some brown spots on him. That's good. Whoa, 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 bring him back here. Stretch his neck out. That's good. No, wait a minute, a little bit further. One more time. And then he said, sir, he said, a little bit further. Got it. So then it comes time for the birds. He says, now boys, I'm going to create these creatures that fly. And I, you know I love colors. They're going to display my colors in the earth. All right, you know how I love that bright yellow? Do me a bright yellow one. And we'll call him Finch. That's good right there. Hey, hang on, wait, bring him back here. Put some black racing stripes on him. <laughs> I like that. Send him on. You know one of my favorites is that bright blue. Let's, let's paint one bright blue. There you go. What do we call him, sir? Let's call him Bluebird. Let's call him that. <laughs> wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Put an orange vest on him. We'll dress him up. That's good. All right, boys. I want one bright red. I mean shocking red. Make him bright red. That's good right there. Let's mess with him, boys. Put a mask on him. <laughs> yeah, put a mask on him. That'd look cute. So, whoa, 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 bring him back a minute. Give him a punk rock haircut, too. <laughs> you know what they said? What's punk rock, sir? But you got to remember, time is linear for us. He, it's eternal with him. He's everywhere all the time. He says, that's good right there. This is the God of the Bible. All right, read with me Psalm 104. This is that passage where it talks about it. Verse 14, God causes grass to grow for the cattle. Who causes grass to grow? Why was grass created? Not so you could mow it. What's the Bible say? Grass was created to feed cattle. So they'd have something to eat. He thought all this stuff up. All right, he creates grass to feed the cattle and vegetation for the service of man. Okay? I know some of you don't think broccoli was for man, but it is. <laughs> that he may bring forth food from the earth, wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's hearts. He created all these things and tells you why. He created bread so we'd have strength, oil to make our face shine. Why does it say he created wine? All right, I've, had, I've heard preachers say, well, the wine back then wasn't alcoholic. How did it make your heart glad if it wasn't alcoholic? <laughs> Get off of it, dude. Let me dump you upside down. <clears throat> what was one of the titles? One of the, you know, the ministers really slammed God when he walked on the earth. They couldn't stand him. And they really talked ugly about him. What's one of the titles they hung on him? Do you remember in Matthew 11? Listen to this. I'll just quote it to you. Matthew 11, it starts about verse 14. 
Jesus is talking to the ministers and he said, no matter what I do, you won't listen. No matter how I come to you, I can't reach you. You're like a bunch of kids sitting in the marketplace. I play a happy song, you won't cheer. I play a sad song, you won't cry. John came neither eating nor drinking. Y'all know who John was? He was the guy right in front of Jesus who said he's right behind me. Y'all know who Phil Robertson is? John the Baptist. You say, oh, get over it, Doc. Read the Bible. And John was weird. John lived out in the woods or camouflage and uh, never drank wine. He was hard. And they rejected John. So Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes and he's laughing. He's glad. He's got this huge appetite. He drinks wine and they cuss him and they're mad at him. And he said, the son of man comes eating and drinking and you call him a pig and a drunk and a friend of sinners. That's Matthew 11, where the preacher said he's a pig and he's a drunk. Guess why? The, the word is actually glutton. He, Greek word is glutton. That means he eats too much. And the actual word is in Greek is wine bibber. Guess what a wine bibber is? That's not somebody who drinks alcohol. That's somebody who drinks excessively. Or we'd call them a drunk today. Guess what friend of sinners means? That means I'm in. Friend of sinners mean I'm in. This God we thought we knew, he came just laughing, having the best time. Uh, let me give you an example. John chapter two is where Jesus went to a wedding and turned water into hard seltzer for the people. With my hand in the air, I'm reading the Baptist Bulletin one day and a preacher's writing about John 2. One of the head, he's a preacher of the preachers. John 2, and he said, that has always embarrassed me that he would do that. Well, why don't you call him and tell him you don't like the way he runs his universe? You are one goofed up dude when God embarrasses you. I'm having to believe he really turned water into wine. I know you, but how much? How much? All right, the Bible said there were six containers put water in them, he turned it into wine. They contain 20 or 30 firkins a piece. You know how much that translates into one liter bottles? 910. Was that a wedding gift or what? 900 bottles of high dollar wine. Add that up and see how much that set them back. Here's my point. And I'm not, I'm not pushing alcohol. Matter of fact, I really... The newer studies from Harvard Health say even moderate drinking is not good for you. Now I got some friends who shouldn't drink at all. I knew I'd get amen out of that in here. Um, you know why? Because medical science has told us that alcohol kills brain cells. And God knows I got some friends can't afford to lose none, but they, <laughs> they need to keep all they got. How about dancing? I, was, I had to sign a, a, a form. I would not get caught dancing while I was at the Baptist College. They'd nail your shoes to the floor. And... Uh, why does this book have dancing all through it? Why does Psalm 150 say not only should you dance, you should worship the Lord with dancing? I don't get it, Doc. Where do religious people get this stuff from? Where'd they find their God at? Why don't they go with the God of the Bible? Who's God's all-time favorite worshiper in the Bible? David, hands down King David. Tell me what he was known for. Dancing furiously before the Lord. Okay, Remember, remember, I'm, I'm going to tell the oldest Baptist joke I ever heard. I've heard it all my life growing up. And remember, I'm fixing to tell it, but remember this. Daniel, thelambschapel.org. <laughs> Guess why Baptists won't make love standing up? Too close to dancing. They're not just too close to dancing. <laughs> Daniel, thelambschapel.org. That'll fly. 
listen to me. I did, I'm not pushing drinking or anything. I'm not, not eat it. Matter of fact, none of that's the issue. It's just, where did we get this God? He's not the God of the Bible. All right, let me, and by the way, let me put a last trick out here. He says this, I created all this. I created everything. First Timothy 6, 17, he created everything there is for you to enjoy. But let me put a last trick out here. Let me show you how to use it properly so it don't hurt you and hurt your family and hurt others. Is that a deal? Since he gives me everything to enjoy, should he not keep me from killing people with it and destroying my things with it? I'm gonna tell you he's good. He's real good. Uh, let me just, you say, I, don't, I don't like what you're saying this morning. Can I point something out to you? I don't get to create my own God. The deal was never that we would mold him into our image. The deal was that we would be conformed into his image. All right, um, let me do you one more. Let me do you one more. God smiles a lot. Matter of fact, he's smiling. Now, a lot of people think he's mad. You know where he got that from? You went to church. But he's smiling. Have you ever heard this? That a lot of churches close every service with what I'm fixing to say. It's out of Numbers chapter 6. It's the closing. It's got a fancy word. I just call it the goodbye thing. And I've said it to y'all in here. See if you've heard this before. The Lord bless you. Keep you. Make his face to shine on you. Be good to you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You ever heard that? That's Numbers chapter 6. And he said in there, tell the ministers to say this over the people that I might put my blessing on them. All right, let's go back. The Lord bless you. That means be good to you. Keep you. It means protect you. What does it mean make his face shine upon you? Like a flashlight? What's the Hebrew word for make his face shine? Smile. God is smiling on you. You know, when somebody smiles at you, they're going to be good to you. Guess what it means when somebody's smiling at you? You ready? They are not mad at you. You don't smile at people you're mad at. Can I get a witness? Am I over your head here? The Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you. All right, I'm fixing to rock your world here. Can I do one more? I'm crying out loud, folks, the Methodists are still in. All right, listen, one more here. God does get angry with some people. I knew it, praise God, you finally got to the one I like. Hey, hey, man, where'd you get this religious language crap from? Golly, he does get angry with certain people. I've read the gospels over and over and over. Let me tell you what I see in here. The only people he ever got mad with in the Bible kept the 10 commandments all the time. They never broke the 10 commandments. The only people he got mad with. People who broke the 10 commandments, I don't see him mad with them. The woman who got caught in adultery, he stepped in to protect her and he said to her, I don't condemn you. Let's start over. He wasn't mad at her. He wasn't. He tried to help her. The biggest whore in town. She slept with everybody in town. He comes to her and what did he say to her? What did he say to her? This lifestyle is never going to satisfy your heart. You come become a friend of me, you'll find what you're looking for. Amen. He talks to sinners like that. But I do see him get angry. Matter of fact, in all the Gospels, all four Gospels, it only says one time Jesus got angry. Now, he died, he, we see him angry, but there's only one time it says it. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 3. Only time you see Jesus angry. All right, let me tell you what, while you turn, let me tell you what I prayed a while back. I'm struggling with some things, going through some learning, and me and old, my buddy Paul. And I just prayed this prayer, and I said, Father, I am so sorry, but... I'm getting madder and madder at religion and religious preachers. 
I said, I'm sorry. Why am I so angry with these religious preachers? You know what he told me? My hand in there, you know what he told me? Because you're becoming more like me. I said, anything, anything I think I hear like that, guess what I always say? You've got to show me that in the Bible. You always check everything. Mark chapter 3, this is the only time in the Bible it says Jesus got angry, where it says it. Once he's away, he got angry. Let's, let's learn something about God here. He entered the church, synagogue, verse 1, Mark 3, 1. A man was there who had a withered hand. That means he's got a deformed hand. You know, in that culture, if, you're, if you got a deformed hand, you can't work. There's only labor jobs there. There's no computers or anything then. So he can't work, got a deformed hand. And uh, verse 2, the ministers watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they could criticize him. Right, what's the problem here? This guy's got a deformed hand and... And Jesus is in church that reason for someday for that. I don't know why, because they didn't like him. And the preachers are watching him. What are they watching him? I bet you he's going to heal that guy right here in our church. I bet you'll heal him right here in our church. They had a rule. Now, one of the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath. Anybody know about that one? That's number three, honor the Sabbath. And they, had, they said it like this, All right, honor the Sabbath. Now, that means you can't work on the Sabbath. And this guy is a healer. So if he heals, he's working and we got him. I'm going to tell you, religious people will twist this book in a wad to where you just think they've gone off the cliff, and they have. So they're watching him. They're going to watch and see if he heals this guy. And then they're going to jump him. All right, you know how Jesus would never want to offend anybody? Why couldn't he just say to the guy, hey, dude, hey, dude, meet me at the barber shop after this is over. I'll heal you then. Let's learn something about God right here. He stands up in front of everybody. He wasn't even on the program. He just he said, good to have y'all here today. Well, I don't know what he said. He just stands up, verse three. He said to the man who had the deformed hand, come up here beside me, step forward. He just brings him up, stands him right in front of everybody. What's this guy doing? And in verse four, then he said to them, he turns to the preacher, so let me ask you a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or kill? He just looks at him and says, can I ask you? He gets this, come stand right here in front of me. It's like me saying to somebody, come here, stand right here. So he just looks at the preacher and he says, is it okay to help people in your church? Isn't, it, isn't church about helping people? Is it okay to help this man right here? He asked him, can I help him? I'm even he's putting him on the spot here. Watch this. They answered him not a word. Verse five, when he looked around at the preachers with what? Anger. He is so angry at them. He looks around and he gets so mad at preachers. What's he mad about? They didn't commit adultery or steal something. What's he mad about? Read the rest of it. He looked at them with anger because of the hardness of their hearts. You tell me what makes the real God mad. Hard religious hearts that are more interested in keeping rules than helping people. More interested in taking care of their program than taking care of people. That hacks him off. I started to say it pisses him off. I didn't say that in church. That aggravates him to no end. See, I always thought if you, if you drank, did, drank it after you was a Christian, you'd be mad. He is mad at the hard hearts of religious people. Now you want to see something weird? They didn't change their attitude. Watch this. And he, he healed him. Verse 6, then the preachers went out immediately plotted with the Herodians, that's the government officials, against him how they, watch these words, might destroy him. I don't know seem weird to y'all. Preachers have a meeting to discuss how they can kill God. That seemed weird to y'all. Preachers should not be having meetings to kill God. I'm telling you, the God of this Bible is wonderful.
pre- us preachers are nuts. I'm just telling you the difference. Uh, God never, I dare you to find me anywhere in here where he got mad with somebody that they weren't keeping every one of the Ten Commandments. He only got angry with people who had hard hearts. It was the way you deal with people, not the way you deal with booze or whatever. You know I'm not telling you to go get drunk. My goodness. Probably wish I was once I get these emails coming in here. <laughs> I'm going to cut the chase. I'm going to throw in a more quick one. This really surprised me because I always thought like, like, like I'm normal. I'm not religious. I'm normal. I have, to, I have to sort of beef up to be around religious people. I don't know, I don't know what the word is. Like, you know, I'm just normal. I talk normal. I dress normal. And uh, I, I go in, like you go in church and it's like, um, um. It's like I, when I'm around my friends, like, hey man, we just talk, chat, rock and roll. And all of a sudden you get around, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord. Where does this garbage come from? Let me tell you what I've discovered from this book. He does not like to be referred to as God. You know how some of my friends spell his name? Let me spell it for you. G-A-W-W-W-D. He don't like that. that. That's not how he wants his name spelled. Where do we get this stuff from? I get, I get ugly emails because I don't dress ministerially. A man in a dress don't do nothing for me. Can I get a witness? God have mercy. It's hot. Dumb. It's like a buzzard with a gland problem. I ain't gonna do it. I was taught, I was taught, you know, you 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 dress up to get the respect of the people. Who needs it? I thought we was living for an audience of one. I'm telling you how screwed up I, I'm confessing my own sins. Right, I get out of ministerial school to go to my first church. I wore a coat and tie every day of my life. And I, I went out. We were told you have to go door to door, pass out tracks, pass out tracks, leave them in the bathroom, clutter the place up. So I go door to door. I got a coat and a tie on that's 92 degrees out there. Is that stupid or what? <laughs> and people see you coming. They say, honey, did you call the undertaker? That's the only people wear stuff like that. Because <laughs> let me tell you, we were taught where you best to church. How many of y'all heard that growing up? Can you show it to me? Not in this book, you can't. Let me tell you what I'll show you in this book. You said, well... Fine, if you want to look like you're homeless. <laughs> Let me tell you what I found in this book. Matthew 23. We're not going to look at it now, but you read it sometime. Matthew 23. Jesus got on people because they dressed up to go to church. He said, woe to you preachers. You bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and you lay them on men's shoulders. You're not helping people. You're making it harder on them. And you expand your garments and your phylacteries in order to impress men. He said, you, you dress up fancy and go to church. He said, I don't want you to dress up. Now listen, if you want to wear a tuxedo, I don't give a rip. Come in a whiskey barrel for all I care. As long as your headlights are covered, it don't matter to me. <laughs> you know why it's such a, you know why it doesn't matter? First Samuel, first Samuel 9, 16, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. It's the heart of the matter. If you had a day, if you'd have told me I'd wear blue jeans in church, I'd have said, get thee behind me, you devil. I mean, it's good to get to know the God of the Bible and knock it off. Besides, doesn't that prize make my neck itch? I can't stand them things. Turn with me to Romans 8, 15. Let's look at one more. I told you he don't like to be called God. 
Well, how about if we should let him decide what we call him? Can he pick his own name? All these grandparents, y'all drive me nuts. The grandparents got grandchildren coming. They supposed to get to pick what their grandchildren are going to call them. It's Granny and Pa, okay? Nene and Gigi, you sound plum goofy. <laughs> but I guess you get to pick your own name, don't you? Well, won't you let him pick his name? He don't do this God thing. There is something he likes to be called, and he'd tell you if you just read the Bible. Here it is, Romans 8, 15. He's writing to people, he says this, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Guess what spirit of bondage? Not cocaine, religion. He's talking about the religious spirit that's got people held in bondage. He said, get rid of that thing. You didn't receive that spirit, but you received the spirit of what? Adoption. What does adoption remind you of? Business partners that don't remind you of mama and daddy and child? I did a wedding last week, the little, what do you call this little guy stands right here in front of me? Ring bearer, ring bearer. And uh, he, was, he was from China. I can tell this from China. He was four years old, had one arm. And I met his parents later on. They weren't from China. They were from some other foreign country like Georgia. And I said to them, I said, where'd y'all get him from? And they said, we adopted him from China. Beautiful little boy. And they were just, I was telling them, y'all are so blessed and he's so blessed to have y'all. They didn't look nothing alike. But they loved that little boy. They had, you know what adoption means, don't you? Do you adopt people to make money off of them? It cost them $20,000 just to go get him. You don't adopt people so you can make money off. You adopt people because you, you love them. You want to have somebody to love. That's what adoption is. It's a family. It's a, it's a father. And then a fathers, if my kids came up to me and said, um, Dr. Biggers, could we have a dollar? You ain't got no dollar from me. It was a Dr. Biggers mess. And don't reverend me either. God, reverend. Sound like a skin disease or something. I met this chick one time and I called her Tempe. Her name's Tempe Fussell. I'd change mine too. Tempe Fussell. It's more like Fussy Temple is what it was. Tempe Fussell. She'll probably hear this. Tempe Fussell. And uh, she's a pastor, a woman pastor. Fine by me. It's none of my business. And she pastors about 25 old folks that have, some of them have died. Nobody knows it yet. 25 old folks in a little church. And I said, hey, Tempe. She said, um, um, Brother Biggers, it's, it's, it's the right Reverend Dr. Tempe Fussell. I said, yeah, it sure is, isn't it? I said, Tempe, if the Son of God lets me call me him by, by his first name, I'm going to put you right there with him, unless you want to be above him. We need to get off of it in this land. Let me show you what he likes to be called. He said, to reject the spirit of bondage, verse 15. You receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, what? All right, all right, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. Jesus comes inside. He's adopted us. And what does he, he cry, what does he tell me to call him? What does he tell me to call him? What does it say? Abba or Abba, Father. It's an Aramaic word. It's one of the few words in the Bible that's in Aramaic. And it, literally it's the word Papa. Papa. Papa, Father. Uh, we don't use that word much anymore. We did 30 years ago. What's our modern equivalent? Dad or Daddy. Daddy. It, what does he want to be called? Daddy. You said, it just don't feel right calling him that. Who's the God of this book? Who wrote that right there? It's not the spirit of the living God that tells you to 
straighten up and act weird in front of him, be nervous to come in front of him. My children, listen, my children love me. My children mind me. Oh, I know you don't know what that means. My children mind me. But my children never hesitate to run to me. And they do not call me Reverend Beggars or Dr. Beggars. They call me Dad. My kids are grown now. They still call me Daddy. When I came home in the evenings, my kids were little at the house. I'd hit the door. They raced and we wrestled right there on the floor. They love me. They respect me. I provide for them. I'm the, he, I'm the boss till their mama shows up. I'm the boss till mama gets home. I love those kids. I'm their daddy. What does this book say? That makes me nervous. Well, why don't you listen to Jesus? Jesus said, when you pray, say, oh God. Did he say that? In the Greek, he said, say, Abba, Father, Papa, or Daddy. So in other words, it sounds like a relationship to me. Close relationship. I got to quit. Here's my final word. This guy had been preaching for, he'd been trained, he'd been taught about God, he'd been preaching to people about God for 15 years, and all of a sudden he, he met God. All right? Then he disappears for three years in the desert to get to know this God that he thought he knew, and then he spends the rest of his life telling people what he's really like. Listen to what I'm fixing to say here. Here's the, here's the gist of the whole thing. When he changed his view of God, it changed his life dramatically. If you ever get to see him for who he is, he'll change your life dramatically. It's changed me tremendously. As my religious friends say, well, not for the good. But there was that, what's the most important prayer you can ever pray? It's just so simple. Here it is. It's my, Brother Brian, I've been a preacher for 30 years. Yeah, I've seen that attitude before. Here's the most important prayer you'll ever pray. Who are you? This, this man had been trained about him, but he realized maybe I don't know everything about him. And he just he said, he prayed a simple prayer, said, who are you? I start every day saying, I have one desire today. I want you to show me you. I don't know what you like. The more I get to know you, the more I like you. Who are you? I want you to pray that simple prayer. Pray it from the heart. And guess what he'll always do if you'll pray that prayer? You got it. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your word. The, the religious fog and all the garbage we've been taught. Dear Jesus, I am sure that this man, Saul, he was very sincere in what he believed. He was sincere in what he taught others. But obviously he was sincerely wrong about a lot of things. But I want to praise you and thank you that in your kindness, you have never stopped reaching out to people. You don't have to. What do you get out of all this? Do you really need me? I'm just, I don't need my children. I got my own money. I had a lot more before they showed up. I wanted my children. I wanted, to, I wanted a friend. I wanted the joy of being a dad. I wanted to be a father to them. And now that they're grown, we got great relationships. I still don't want their money. I don't need them to mow my grass. I just want to come eat with me at the house. And I thank you for that. Somehow, somehow, I pray for every person in this room, break through the preconceived junk. Show them the beauty of the Lord. We're going to pray the simple prayer of King David. One thing I have desired, to see the beauty of God. Lord Jesus, when I, when I woke up this morning and the worship was going on and the cardinals were singing bass and the wood thrushes were singing tenor, 
Ah, it was on. Reveal to us your glory in what you created. Show us in your words. Show us in people. Show us in the baby's smile. Show us in the sunset. Show us in your word. Show us most of all in the face of your son who walked on this earth and said, look right here and you'll see him. I pray this simple prayer morning. Anything on this earth, I want people to see God. I want them to know what you're like. I want, when people listen to me, I want them to say, God is good. Not he's a good preacher. God is a good father. I pray for that and I trust you to answer that prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm going I'm to invite people to be your children right now, all through this room. I pray that you'll touch their hearts and draw them to yourself. I trust you for that. Friend, as we're praying, you're not a child of God. You, you have to be born again, born twice, born of a mama. Then you have to let God come into your life. He won't barge in. You've got to ask him. And the Bible said this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can be a child of the living God by inviting him into your heart. Let's do it right now. If you want God to be your father, if you want to receive the, what Jesus did for you at the cross to bring you in the family of God, right there where you're seated, pray a simple prayer with me. It's this simple. Let me just leave. You sit right there. It's between you and him. Talk to him. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross for me. But I believe you rose from the grave. I believe you're alive today in the earth. I believe you're coming back one day. I want to be yours. I want to live with you forever. So today I turn from my sin and ask you to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed against you. And I ask you to take them away. And I receive you today from this day forward. You are my Savior, my Lord, the love of my life, and the best friend I ever had. Teach me how to walk with you. This is new to me, Jesus. I, I may not know what to do, but I want to follow you. Just as humbly as I know how. Thank you for hearing my simple prayer. Thank you for receiving me into the family of God. I'm glad to be here now. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. If you prayed that minute, raise your hand real high. Put it up real high. Thank you. Put those down. I give you all the praise and glory, Father. You talk about a man who has adopted a lot of children. You him. And I thank you and praise you that the door to God's heart is wide open through the cross of Jesus. And our simple prayer is, who are you? I pray that we'll be lifelong learners of who you are and that we'll let you come into our hearts to joy and to have time with you. I give you all the praise and glory for your goodness. Thank you for this day. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.